Let me open to you in the book of Nehemiah today. Nehemiah 1, 3, and 4. Nehemiah 2, 17, and 18 is where we begin, and we're going to move into chapter 3. We're in this series called Let Us Rise Up and Build. You'll, you'll, you'll be reminded of that again as we, read, as we read the text. Today, I have titled this message this, The Message of the Gates. The Message of the Gates. And we'll find that in just a moment in Nehemiah chapter number 3. You'll remind, uh, I'll remind you just briefly that Nehemiah was a long way away from Jerusalem. He was in a place called Susa. Susa was the winter palace of the Persian kings. God moved his heart to go do a great work. I've seen that work. Some of you that are sitting here remember when we walked over that bridge and our guide in Jerusalem said, stop and look down. And there we saw the very wall that Nehemiah had built part of that wall. And what was that? That was a work of God. That was something God called them to do. But God stirred Nehemiah's heart. And we look at this chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity of the province are there in great distress and reproach. And the wall of Jerusalem is also broken down. And the gates are burned with fire. So that it was, when I heard these words, I sat down and wept, and I mourned many days. I was fasting, I was praying before the God of heaven. Notice he says the gates are, are burned with fire, the walls are broken down. Verse, chapter 2, verse 17 and 18, and then I said to them, now Nehemiah has already made the long journey, and now he's in Jerusalem, and now he's with the leaders who had been there for over a decade, more than a decade. They've been living among broken down walls. Think about that. They've been living among burned gates. How many know we can get used to things? Are you hearing me, church? We can get used to worshiping in a broken life and a dysfunctional life, and we just get used to it, and we're, yeah, the gates, the walls are, walls are salvation, the gates are praise, but they don't look much like it. Why? We can get used to dysfunction. You know what God wants to do? He wants to heal our dysfunction. He wants, to, he wants us to get in that abundant life, which is in Jesus Christ. Glory to God. Don't we serve a God that's more than enough? Can't we serve a God that can build his church? He's he going to put a building here, and we're going to watch it happen. We're going to preach in it and teach in it and worship in it. Why? Because God's told us to do this, and we're going to do it in the name of Jesus. But the Lord wants to heal your broken walls. He wants to heal and mend the broken gates of our lives. He can do it in the name of Jesus. So now he goes, and now he's with the leaders, and he says, in a sense, aren't you tired of these broken gates? Broken walls, aren't you tired of living like this? Let's do something more. Let's get out. Let's not get used to broken walls and broken gates. Let's get out, and let's do something more. Let's heal the gates. Come on, let's build the church. Let every ministry be healed in this church. Men's and women's, and thank God children are getting ministry today. And I, I came in today, I was so happy. The greeters were so greeting. Amen, if I can say it that way. They were greedy. They're not greedy like greedy, but they were greeting. They were just had a spirit of greeting today. They were ushering people in the presence of the Lord with a smile. That's what we're about, aren't we? 
I mean, I, I enjoy doing that stuff so much. I stand out on the front porch and yell at people. Good morning. Great to have you this morning. This is the day the Lord has made. Why? Because that's who we are. That's who we are. And attitude means a lot, doesn't it? Attitude will, will, will determine your altitude. That's right. You know, on a plane, they have an attitude indicator. Do you realize that on a plane, they have an attitude indicator? And that attitude indicator determines where the plane is relating to the horizon. If it's a nose up or nose down attitude. You can tell some folks whether they're going up or down by their attitude. Their attitude indicator is down, but we're up because the joy of the Lord is our strength. And these walls may not be all they're going to be, but they're getting built right now. Amen? Come on, walls are getting built. Come on, plans are going up. Even dumb stuff like that that a third grader could do, but you get the message, you know? I'm telling you, it's happening. It's happening. Our builders, they're working and they're tweaking and they're saying, let's put this here. And the city says this. Well, then let's connect it here. It's happening right now. Walls that have been broken down are getting built up. Gates that have been burned with fire are getting touched up again. Go get a new, new coat of paint. Come on. Think about it. For years, we worshiped in a thousand-year-old building. Thank God for it. But we're going to get a brand new building. How I many know God can give you some brand new stuff? He wants to bless you and I. He definitely wants to bless us. So Nehemiah is there now. Hadn't started the building, but he says, you see the distress we're in, how Jerusalem lies waste. Its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the walls of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been good upon me and also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. And he said, and they said, let us rise up and build. Let us rise up and build. Are you saying that with pastor in your heart today? Pastor, let us rise up and build a new church. Let us rise up and build a powerful ministry. You know what I've been praying for? I've been praying for a revival. Now, we didn't make it to the prayer meeting last night, and I text our guys I just could not make it to the building, but from five to six o'clock, me, Missy, and Peyton, we got on our knees in our living room. We put some music on, and for an hour, we prayed in the Holy Ghost, and the Spirit of God was there in an awesome way, and I told these guys, I'm with you at the throne of God. I'm not with you at this building, but I'm telling you, I was with you in the presence of God at the very throne of God, and I could, you know, I just could feel the presence of God as we were on our knees before the Lord. And I, I felt myself and caught crying out for revival. God, revive us. And some of you here, when I say revival, you don't even know what that means fully. But it's a time of unusual movement of God when God's people's heart is ready and God comes in in a greater way. God's coming in in a greater way. The Spirit of God is going to anoint us in a greater way. Because we want it. These walls are coming up. These gates are not going to be burned anymore. Let us rise up and build. And then they set their hands to this good work. They, they. And as you read the chapter, I don't have time to read it all in a sermon, but as you read chapter three, everyone's doing something. Can I tell you this? No one's exempt from doing something. No one. No one has the audacity to think that Jesus Christ hung on the cross for us, redeemed us, and have the arrogant audacity to think that we could set back and let everybody else do the work and not use our gifts, talents, and ability. That's, that's not who we are. Everyone has a part. Everyone. Now, quickly. Last week, we learned that the city of Jerusalem, with its walls, is a prophetic city. 
The Jewish people are a prophetic people. The Jewish nation is a prophetic people. When we went there, I've been there twice, and I would love for the church to support me and go again. Hint, hint. I'd rather go there than Hawaii. Maybe not Hawaii. I've got my friends from Hawaii back here. Tim and Cherish moved here from Hawaii, sent them to us to help us build this work. And they said, I said, where are you from? They said, we moved here from Hawaii. The first thing I said is, why? <laughs> Have you not been here in August? <laughs> well, God sent them here. Amen? But I'm going to tell you that as I walked through the, the north and the south of Israel, up as far as Dan, all the way down to, to the Dead Sea and... I just, I told someone, this land speaks, Muriel, you were there with us. It's a land that speaks everything. There's symbols and types, and you can sense God there. And we learned last week that the gates and the walls are prophetic. And that means this, that if I built a wall out here, it would just be a wall. But the wall of Jerusalem and its gates have a spiritual meaning they, the one, when we look at them, we get the voice of God on an issue. We get the, 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 the mean, a spiritual lesson from these, at least in shadow and in type. In other words, it goes higher, higher than the brick and mortar. How do we know that? How do we know it's prophetic and not just brick and mortar? Because Isaiah said, no longer shall violence be heard in your land, nor ruin or destruction within your borders, but you shall call your walls, What? Salvation. So it's not just the brick and mortar, right? The walls symbolize salvation found in Jesus Christ. But then today, look at this. Your gates are, your gates are praise. Your walls are type of salvation. Your gates are praise. Last week, the walls. Today, the gates. The walls, of course, as we've said, salvation. The gates are praise. What is it that brings the highest praise to our God. If the gates are praise, if the walls are salvation and the gates are praise, what is it that brings the, the highest level of praise? And I'll give you a little hint. It's not a what. It's a who. Not a what. But a who. Jesus said these, this in the New Testament. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives life and gives them life, so even the Son gives life to whom he pleases to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one but entrusts all judgment to the Son. Notice verse 23. That all may honor the Son. That all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. The Father and the Son are equal. We believe in a trinity in this church. Trinity Life Church. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the great three in one, the great deity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Now the Bible speaks a lot about praise. Do you know the Bible is a book of praise? The, biggest book, the largest book in the Bible has 150 chapters all about praise. The gates of Jerusalem were broken off their hinges. They were burned, which in type form speaks of broken praise. And they were, their praise was broken. And the reason their praise was broken is because their relationship with God was broken. Now in speaking of praise, let me say this by introduction and we'll jump into these points and move through them. 
that when I speak of praise today, I'm speaking of it in a much deeper sense. It's, praise is deeper than music, melody, and musicians. Because you can sing and go through the motions of praise and worship in the midst of broken down walls and burned gates. Jesus said this, they worship me in vain. They worship me in vain. You can worship, but is it real worship? Is it real worship? I would say this to you. The only praise that God will accept is the kind that is prescribed by the eternal word of God. This is a book of praise. This is a book that outlines what true praise and worship really is. And it must be centered in Jesus Christ, the man, and Jesus Christ and his message. I, I refer you to John 4. The hour's coming. And now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is seeking such to worship him. He he's wants certain kind of worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And I appeal to your heart today and tell you that that truth is the truth that is found in Jesus Christ alone, where he said, I am the way and I am the truth. And now we're getting somewhere. You're following me. In Jerusalem, the walls of Jerusalem are built around 10 gates. And I remind you, the walls are salvation and the gates are praise. Now, each gate that I'm going to mention is very unique and it very specifically concerns the Lord Jesus Christ in his ministry and in his perfect life. The title of it that I've given it is The Message of the Gates. So these gates in a veiled form, because in the Old Testament, the, the, there was a veiled form of salvation. They didn't see it as clear as we have in our word today. But in a veiled form, God was using the gates to speak to the Jews of that day that Messiah was coming. And that these gates are going to show us all the way from the first coming of Jesus all the way to the second coming of Jesus. And you're going to see it in the gates. When I think about these gates, I'm reminded of the voice of God from heaven. On the mount, he said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Hear him. I don't know what you see when you go to your Bible, but I see a Bible about Jesus Christ, the Redeemer. From cover to cover, I may not see it as clear as I do in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but I see it in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, etc., etc. I see Jesus, and today in the gates, we're going to see a very unique and a very special message, and it concerns the coming of Jesus, his life, his ministry, his person. It's the message of the gates. In Ephesians, we read these words. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us according to the adoption of sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, the good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace. That's what the gates do. The, the gates are praise. Amen? Did you hear that? The gates are praise. What do they praise? 
Not what do they praise, who do they praise? They praise the glory of the grace of Jesus Christ by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. According to the riches of his grace, he made us uh, to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Having made known to us the mystery, there it is, the mystery. In the Old Testament, it was a mystery in that it was hidden in types and shadows. But oh, we see the gates today. We know what they are. We're going to see that. According to the good pleasure of his will that he purposed in himself, verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times that he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven, which are on earth in him. In him we've obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to his will. You know what? How many English teachers do we have in here? Do you know that in the Greek this is one long sentence, by the way? Try to diagram that. It is actually one long, verse 11, obtain inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works according, uh, all things according to the counsel of his will. Notice that we first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory in him. You also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation in him also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance unto the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. The gates are praise. The gates are not just an emotion. I mean, I can go to some secular concert and get emotional, but it's not praise. Praise is when it's centered in the man Jesus. Come on, praise is when it's centered in what these gates speak to us about in type and I just say with Paul in Romans oh the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways surpass finding out who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor or who has first given him and it shall not be repaid to him verse 36 for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever amen so that's to give you a little, in, a little insight of where we're going. The message of the gates. There's 10 of them. I'll go quick. I remind you of this today. That the answer is found in the message of the gates. The answer to our broken world is found in the message of the gates. The lostness, the, the emptiness, the sinfulness, the bondage. The pain of people's lives, the answer to the ills of the world are found in the message of the gates. And I remind you this, this is NIV, John 9 and 1. Jesus said, I am, some translations say door, but it means gate. I am the gate. Are you hearing me today? Now listen to me, I'm preaching in the Old Testament, lacing it in with the New Testament and threading it in, but I'm telling you, I'm in the Old Testament, but I'm preaching Jesus to you today. Do you realize that the first century church preached the gospel of Jesus Christ? They had no New Testament. It wasn't written yet. How did Paul go to those first century synagogues? He used the Old Testament, just like I'm doing today, but he preached Jesus to them. Jesus said, I am the gate. There's 10 gates. Here's the first one. The first one's found in chapter 3, verse 1. Elisha, the high priest, rose up with his brethren, and he built the sheep gate. It says later on, they consecrated them. Now, the sheep gate was the gate through which they brought the sheep, the lambs, the northern, northeastern part of the city, close to the temple. 
And they brought the sheep through this gate to sacrifice in the temple. I can tell you this, it doesn't take some great scholar to know what this gate is. Isaiah knew what this gate was. The sheep gate. Isaiah said, we like sheep, all like sheep have gone astray. And we turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, and he opened not his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers, as silent and opened not his mouth, he was taken to prison. We know what this is. We know what this speaks of, do we not? This speaks of the great and wonderful cross of our Lord Jesus Christ where he hung there with the nails in his hands and his feet, a crown down, down, down upon his death, the, the, cry, the seven cries going out. Finally, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We know what this is. This is nothing but the great cross of Jesus Christ. John the Baptist knew what this gate was. John chapter 1, when he saw Jesus, he cried out like I'm crying out today. And he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus said in John 10, he said, I'm the door, and anyone who comes through that door is saved, and he will come in and out and find pleasure. He said, the thief doesn't come to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you may have life and life more abundantly. I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And listen, Jesus is the shepherd, but he's also the lamb. Why? He's everything to me. He is all that I will need. And he hung there on the cross. No one takes his life from him. No one takes his life. He gives his life for the, as a lamb slain for the sins of the whole world. Think about it. Think about it. In a sense, Jesus went through that sheep gate. He was the sheep that went through the sheep gate. And what is this? This was the first gate that was repaired. Are you hearing me? This was the first gate that was repaired and the reason is, without this gate being repaired, all the others don't mean anything. This is the most important gate because it speaks of salvation. And without the cross, there is no salvation for humanity. It was the first gate. You say, when was it being prepared? Ephesians 1.4, I read it. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Before, the Revelation talks about the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. How desperately we need this gate in our world today. Genesis, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. I can tell you this, without this gate, there is no true church. If we do not have the cross, and if we do not embrace the cross, there is no true church because salvation, which builds the church and births the church, can, there can be no birthing without, without the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to notice, now, I don't have time to go through all this. We'd be here a month. But as you read the intricacies of these gates, this gate doesn't mention locks and bars. 
It doesn't mention it. Why? Because this gate's open all the time. This is a gate that typically is open all the time. The gate's open to sinners. We don't want anybody to be locked out. Every, whosoever will may come and drink of the waters of life freely. Glory to God. And I'll also have you to notice, this is the only gate in the text that is consecrated as something special. And the reason is this, the cross is the most sacred revered event. The Bible said the sun would not shine. I believe the angels had to look away on that day when Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. Just think about it. When we come to communion on the first Sunday of the month, God forbid that we would go, oh, it's just communion Sunday. Oh, no, oh, no, it's been consecrated. It's our blessed Savior dying, bleeding. Remember me. Remember me, he said, when you take of the juice and the wine and the bread. Paul said it this way. God forbid that I should glory, save anything, but the cross of our Lord Jesus, of whom the world's crucified me and I to the world. We should praise God for this gate. We should thank God for the redemption that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let the redeemed say so. I've been through that gate. How about you? I've been through that gate. My sins are gone, gone at last. My sins are gone because of this gate and what it represents, the cross. Paul wrote about this gate in in a sense. He praised God for what Jesus has done. Here's what he said. 1 Timothy 1.11 and set through 17, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust, I thank Christ Jesus, my Lord, who enabled me because he counted me faithful. That's a powerful statement. Do you know why God has called you to your ministry? He knows he can count on you. You know why God's called you to usher ministry? He can count on you. You know why God has put you in that teaching ministry? Because he knows he can count on you. You know why God's calling us to build a church here? He said, I can count on Trinity Life Church. I've called them to do this, and I'm counting on them because I know they're going to be trustworthy. And then he says, putting me in the ministry, although I was formerly, listen to this, I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man. Man, you wouldn't want to have been around, you know, insolence. That is a strong word. You ever been around people like that? They just repel you. No one, you know, we would love the new Paul in Christ. The old Paul we would not have loved. Now notice, insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, of our Lord, was exceedingly abundantly with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief, he says. However, for this reason, I obtain mercy that in me, that in me, first, Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern of those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. And notice what he does. Remember the gates are what? The gates are praise. Paul is talking about the salvation that he's experienced and his ministry. And notice what he does. He breaks into praise. Now to him... Now, now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, 
be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. He breaks into praise. I wish somebody would just praise him in this place. Yes, Jesus saved you. Lift your hands right now. Come on, somebody praise him. Somebody praise him for the sheep gate. Someone praise him that he died on the cross. Thank you, Lord. We praise you with Paul. To the king, immortal, invisible. To the God, only honor to his name. Glory to God. Come on, glory to God. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Don't you praise him. He saved you. He saved you. He saved you. And aren't our stories all different? Bob was saved walking down the street at eight years old in Leveland, Texas, and he's above 90 years old, and it's still working, isn't it, Brother Bob? I was saved at an altar as a teenager at First Assembly in Montgomery, Alabama. I told you last week, my daughter was saved in South Chicago at a Reformed church, but I tell you, Jesus was there and saved her. I don't know what your story is, but I know this, if he saved you, you need to lift up your voice and praise him and sing and let your voice be heard. You've been saved. It's the greatest thing that's ever happened to a human being. God can take out the heart of stone, and he can give us a heart of flesh that loves him. Hallelujah. The sheep gate. Ah, I may not get through with this sermon today. Ah, as always, next time, here's the second gate. Verse 3 and 4, it talks about the fish gate. The, the sheep gate presents Jesus Christ as the crucified Savior. Dying for our sins, this presents Jesus as the one who came to seek and to save that which is lost. This gate reminds us of soul winning. This gate reminds us of the need to take the message of Jesus to a lost world, to be fishers of men. I remind you of what Jesus said to his men, follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men. And Jesus led by way of example. Jesus is a great soul winner. In the third chapter of the book of John, he has a meeting with a great Jewish leader named Nicodemus. And in the conversation, Nicodemus comes and sees that we know that, that you come from God. No one can do what you're doing unless God be with There was supernatural work going on which got people's attention, which is called signs. I pray that God would move so greatly in our church that there would be signs and the signs are to get people's attention. What's happening in that church? And, we have, and then we tell them, Jesus is happening in this church. And Jesus did three things when he talked to Nicodemus. First of all, he confronted him with this need of salvation. And that's one of the things we must do. Before someone, is, before someone can get saved, they got to know they're lost. The word of God not only points to salvation, but it points to why we need salvation. I heard of someone years ago, they were, they were out witnessing and they knocked on the door of a gentleman and here's what he said, and I quote, they said, sir, I'm here to share Christ with you in salvation. Would you want to be saved? He said, you know, I don't think I need to be saved. He said, I've got my house paid for and I've got a boat and my wife, we're all good. I don't think we need to be saved. We're all good here. And you'd be surprised at how many people don't know the state that they're in. And they're trying to change the narrative. This week, or last week, uh, the, the, the great football player, Aaron Rodgers, who was raised in church, 
who was raised to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, now says, I don't know if I believe in a God that would cast half the world into hell. Well, I'm telling you, God's not casting half the world anywhere. Men have gone away from God. Why are we blaming God? God is good. He is loving. He is merciful. People go to hell because they choose to reject the only answer, which is the sheep gate, Jesus Christ. And he said, Nicodemus, these words, you, and it's in the plural, Israel, you must be born again. You're the most religious nation in the world, but if you, you, you people must be born again. Your, your, your lineage through Abraham physically will not save you because you must be born again. And then he showed him that this birth wasn't physical, but that it was spiritual. And he said, Jesus answered, most assuredly I say to you, unless born of, as one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, that which is born of spirit is spirit. He's saying, Nicodemus, the washings of the Jewish people, all that points to the spiritual washing that I wanna do in reality. We used to walk in the Catholic church and we would, you know, put the, you do the holy water and it was symbol, but that water wouldn't do anything for anybody. Physical water doesn't change anything and it may clean you up a little bit, but only Jesus can cleanse a dirty heart. Only Jesus can change us on the inside. Only the blood can take away all that guilt that people have felt because of past things that they've done. When someone gets, when someone receives salvation, they get a new heart, and Jesus gives us that assurance that my sins are gone. There's a peace that is unnatural to this world. It's a supernatural peace when the blood of Jesus comes in. Intuitively, the Holy Spirit lets us know we're free. We're clean today of all sin because of Jesus. Not of good works, Nicodemus, but it's washing of the Holy Spirit. It's a spiritual birth. At salvation, the Holy Spirit comes into a person. Has to be. I'm not talking about the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I'm talking about salvation. It's the the Spirit of God coming in a person. It has to be because the Spirit is the Spirit of salvation. The Holy Spirit is the one that gives us new life and brings us to Jesus. And then he showed Nicodemus this, the great soul winner, the great fish gate. He showed us, he showed him that the way that he received this salvation was by believing. And here's what he said, and I love this story. Here's what Jesus said, now he's soul winning now. Jesus is the one that comes to seek and to save that which is lost. Now listen to me, the church by nature is evangelistic. You are an evangelist, we are an evangelist. By by standing here, by having this building on this hill, we are evangelistic. If we're not evangelistic, then we're not the church. Because by nature, as the people of God, we are called to take the gospel to the whole world. And he says, Nicodemus, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Remember the story? Remember the story of the serpent in the wilderness? 
The people had sinned. Snakes had come out and poisonous snakes began to bite the people. And that, that poison was pulsing through them. People were dying. And they came to Moses and said, Moses, we're dying. What do we do? Don't you wish people would come to the church and say, we're dying. What do we do? And what did Jesus say? And what did Moses say? The Lord said to Moses, make a bronze serpent and put it high up on a pole. And you just tell the people to look, to look. And then it says this. I love this. There's a song, some old hymns. Look and live. Look and live. Oh, did Moses, don't, you mean give money to the treasury. No, no. Did you hear what God says? Look and live to be, oh, well, I've got to be a perfect person. Never been one, but Jesus. No, no, the message is look and live. No, no, do you mean I've got to be good to my, no, no, look and live. Do you get the message? He was trying to communicate to Nicodemus because the Jewish people were wrapped up in all of these traditions. And the answer to a lost soul, look to Jesus, who is a type of the, of the serpent on the pole, taking our sins in the sheep gate. And he says, look and live. Look and live, look and live. And that's our message to the world. Look to Jesus and live. Look to Jesus and live. Now think about this. The gates are praise. If the church is going to praise God, we're going to do it by being fishers of men and fulfilling the mission to take the gospel to the whole world. What excites heaven? Luke says, likewise, I say to you, There is joy, joy in the presence of the angels over one, over one sinner who repents. The angels of God, those mighty creations of God, what excites them? It excites them when a person says yes to Jesus. There's joy among them in some some way. If we want to honor the Lord, go fish for men. Now I'm going to do one more. We'll come back maybe next week and do the others. The third gate is the old gate. We find in verses 6 through 12, the old gate. I believe this gate represents the eternal truths of salvation found in Jesus Christ. This gate, if you will, speaks of the old paths. The old paths of the word of God. Jeremiah cried out. He could see in his day, as we see in our day, there's a drift going on. There's been a theological drift going on. There's been, you remember David, when they built a new cart? Remember the new cart they built? And the Lord judged them because Yusa touched the ark. And then... David went to the Lord and said, I'm paraphrasing, what happened? And then he said, go ask the priest who know the word of God. Jeremiah saw the drift and he says, thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths where where the good way is and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. Jeremiah 18, 15. Because my people have forgotten me, they have burned incense to worthless idols. They have caused themselves to stumble in their ways from the ancient paths, to walk in paths 
and not on a highway. Let me tell you that God's message is eternal. Did you hear it, Trinity Life Church? God's message is eternal and it is unchanging. Heaven and earth will pass away, but his word will not pass away. Paul believed the message didn't change from the first century to the 21st century. It does not change. It does not change. He said, he said I say again, if anyone preaches another gospel which you have, uh, 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 to you other than what you've received, let him be accursed. Now, we live in a culture today, as Paul did. People want something new. Now, I like new things. When it has to do with a chair, I'm good. Let's get a new chair. Projector, I'm good with that. New building, update. I don't drive a Model T. I drive a new car. I like that. I don't have to crank it. It's fuel injected. Uh, new, yep, yep. Got some new pants on. How you like that? He just picked them up last night. Hemmed them good. New pants. I don't, I mean, our, our kids are poor. Mackenzie's very poor. See her rips in her jeans. <laughs> Peyton's, Peyton's a little better than she was last week. So, uh, let me see who else. Poor children. I'm sorry for my kids. I apologize for that. They need some, I need a bigger offering because my kids are like naked almost up here, you know? Kneecaps and ankles and so help us, Lord, you know? I'm being funny, but I'm telling you, that stuff, that, that's, who cares about all that stuff? I don't care if we sing out of hymn books or on the screen. I'm singing. It's a, who cares? Not talking about any of that. I'm talking about the Word of God. I'm talking about something that got to pry it out of our hands. We're going to stay with the old paths of salvation. There's not 14 ways to be saved. There's only one way to be saved. By grace have you been saved through faith, that not of yourself. It is the gifts of God. That's the old path that I'm talking about today. That's the path. It doesn't change. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The old gate represents the unchanging way of salvation. And it's through the sheep gate. The same way you're saved in the first century is the same way you're going to be saved in the 21st century and the 22nd century and the 23rd century. Who knows? Now, I'm telling you, I've said this a lot, and I believe it. What we're doing in building this building is going to go way beyond our day. If Jesus tarries, think about this. What every, you're leaving a legacy it's going to meet you in heaven, by the way. Absolutely. Every dime you put in this building to get this building up and paid off and get us going there. I'm telling you, in, if Jesus tears in 50 years from now, on this, on this property, they're going to be preaching the same message Paul preached, the same message Luther preached and, and Tozer preached and Finney preached and John Fox preached and all these great men of God preached is the same message in, 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 you know, whatever, the 22nd century, let's say. If Jesus tarries, the gospel is still going to be going out, and Jesus is still going to be saving. Because there's some things that must never change. If you change a chair to a pew or a pew to a chair, who cares? It changes nothing. But if you change from the real gospel to another gospel, you lose the ability to be reconciled with God. Somebody's got to keep the old gate built up. Somebody's got to repair the old gate. Somebody's got to preach the old gate that Jesus is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. Hallelujah. I want you to stand. Oh, Jesus.
Somebody lift your hands and worship him. Come on, somebody worship him. We're going to worship him a little. We're gonna, we're gonna, can we just end on a high note today? Can we end with a praise today? I want you to bow your heads, if you would, with me, please. Just bow your heads for just a moment. Bow your heads. Glory to God forevermore. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. As our heads are bowed, Pastor, you preached about salvation. Maybe you're here today and you've never been saved and you want to be saved. I want to know Jesus. I've never been saved. Or I could say it this way. I'm a backslider and I'm not walking with God. I'm away from God. I know I'm away from God. I'm not walking like you want. Let me see your hand. I need to be saved. Is there anyone today? God bless you back here. Is there someone else today? I need to be saved. I need to be saved. I need to be saved. Maybe maybe someone who's watching or will watch this on the internet, you need to be saved. The most important thing is if you are saved. Pray this prayer with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I am a sinner. I need a Savior. Jesus, you are the Savior. Be my Savior. I'm sorry for the things I've done, for the way I've lived. I ask you to come into my life. I ask you to change me. Make me your child. I believe that you're the Son of God. I believe you were born to this world. I believe you hung on the cross. You died and were buried and were raised on the third day. And you're alive. You're my Savior. I declare you're my Savior. I declare you are my Lord. I surrender my life to you from this day forward. Thank you for saving me and cleansing me and making me new. In Jesus' name. Now I want you to thank you for it right now. Come on, thank you for it right now. If you prayed that prayer, thank him that he keeps his promise. When we call upon him, he will save us. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now the Bible says the gates are what? The gates are praise. And I had in my heart today, the way we want to conclude this service was praising him. I want you to leave out of here like I saw that guy at, at the old church. One day I was talking to a guy. He came in. He was, I'm, this is crazy. He was the most depressed human being I'd ever seen. We prayed and the Spirit of God came in there and just changed the whole thing. Just me and him there. Changed the whole thing. As he left the church, he walked across the parking lot. He literally jumped straight up in the air, kicked his heels together. I laughed. I laughed. I thought, he left different than he came. Amen. And I want you to leave today. You don't have to kick your heels up, but I want your heart to be full of praise. To know that Jesus is your Savior. He loves you and I. He's leading us forward in His promises and His blessing. And one of these days, we're going to be in a great praise service in heaven. And we're going to praise Him for all of eternity. Glory to God. Don't you love to praise Him? We're going to sing this song again. Come on, I want you to sing like you were singing a while ago. Come on, let's praise Him.